This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to the first of a very special Back of the Nest, The Palace Years. This is for season 2009-10, a remarkable season for Palace. Uh, The year we went into administration and very nearly lost our club. The year of the Sheffield Wednesday game, the year of Darren Ambrose being absolutely insane, um, and the year we unfortunately let Gerson de Santos go. Gutted, gutted. Back of the nest, the Palace years. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Book Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Helping me today, we have Chris Clark. Hello. Patrick O'Connor. Hello. And Mike Scott. All right, boys and girls. <laughs> that was different. Okay, so first up, we're going to talk about the first half of the season, but we can't start anywhere else than talking about the team that we had and the players that went in and out of that squad. So the team itself, gents, are very, very exciting. Very, very nostalgic. Do I jump straight to Alassane and Dai? No, I don't. Asperoni, well established as our top goalkeeper. Kleine um, had broken through at right back. We had Clint Hill somehow still playing at left back, uh, much to his surprise, as well as everybody else's. Sean Derry was in there with a variety of different haircuts. Paddy McCarthy and Jose Font. Darren Ambrose, as mentioned in the intro. Neil Dans, of course, in midfield. We signed Stern John. Remember him? Stern John? Um, Nick, Nick Carl. Uh, in his final season for Palace, promised a lot, didn't really deliver, but you know what a what a wonderful potential player he was. And of course, it was our final season of Victor Moses, the prodigious talent. Um, a few other players of note: Sean Scannell was it in there, Matt Lawrence, Calvin Andrew, of course, uh, Alan Lee, who had joined us from Ipswich uh, halfway through the previous season, Danny Butterfield, who has a very memorable moment in this season. Uh, Johnny Ertl was there. Claude Davis, Nick Gillard's favourite, of course. Uh, Ryan Smith had a couple of games. James Comley played in two games. Uh, famously, uh, all he really did as a professional footballer was be fo- fo- being photographed on the floor outside of a club, having urinated himself. Poor James. Um, Alassane and Dai, as mentioned, Alex Winter. And of course, it saw the first ever appearance from a certain Wilfred Zaha. Lots in there, gents. Anything stand out to you? Um, I've just asked you all at once, so deal with it. Okay, I'm going to jump in and say that I really, really enjoyed watching Neil Dans play for Palace. And, 
Yeah, I mean, that season, you know, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about Darren Ambrose and his purple patch in this particular season. But Neil Dan scored some spectacular goals and he was our second highest scoring player that season. Fantastic. And I was gutted to see him go the year after. Yeah, Scannell, Duns and Moses uh, in one season. That makes me a little bit wet, I've got to say. Um, <laughs> you, 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 you've got the kind of grey hair of Sean Derry as well. So, uh, yeah, that's good to think about. Yeah, I mean, a bit creepy how you how you said it, but um, but it was it was good to think about. So the players we brought in, the, the players of note, um, I might have missed some in this, but of course the aforementioned Stern John was brought in, I think from Birmingham, if my memory works correctly, um, to be our, our new striker alongside West Ham United loanee Freddie Sears. Uh, we'll talk about the fact that Freddie never scored a goal for Palace and what what happened to his prodigious talent and of course Darren Ambrose free transfer from Charlton Athletic and what an incredible signing that was has to be down as one of our most important ever signings I would say but out we lost Carl Fletcher not the one from Dream Team but the real one uh, James Scowcroft yep uh, Gerson De Santos as I mentioned in the, in the intro I, better, I suppose we better get into old Gerson De Santos so we signed him as a a youth player from um, from Sutton United at a time where Mick Jones kept calling Kyle De Silva Kyle De Santos, and it caused a degree of confusion as to how highly rated this young player was. Um, however, he never made a senior appearance and was listed on our transfers out, so I thought I'd include him. I've just got to say, Patrick O'Connor has a pretty much photographic memory for Palace players, and... Uh, I always back him to be right on any memory. And he did not remember that this man existed. So um, I did have to look him up to see if he did. He's had an illustrious career. That means he's currently without a club. Um, <laughs> he doesn't even have a, he doesn't even have a picture on, um, on the, the site I was looking at. Uh, I'm really not sure that he existed. Right. Well, there we go. Um, he did, right. He definitely existed, but he wasn't who we kind of thought he was or who Mick Jones thought he was. Um, one of the other players that went out, and I'm going to ask you a question, gents, and I'll come to you an answer from you at the end, unless you can answer immediately. Paul Ifill, uh, remember him? Um, constantly injured with back problems, but uh, a terrific, terrific player on his day. However, we let him go uh, before this season began. Who did he join? There we go. Who did he join? Well, we'll come back to that one later on. Probably Mikey will have to remind me. Um, as we wrap up the show later. But it be interesting to see if the uh, correct answer pops into anybody's brains. Those of you at home who know, uh, shout as hard as you can into the speaker of whatever you happen to be listening to on, and uh, we will hear you. Just going to wait for you to do that. Hold on. No, I wonder no. if you ask Alexa if that would work. <laughs> yeah, you got, that's an interesting one. I'll get Mikey on that as well. You can ask uh, Alexa. See if Alexa knows. But anyway, um, we'll, we'll check that one out later on. Nobody shouting into their speaker did it loud enough for me to hear, unfortunately. Uh, we also let Royce Wiggins go uh, at some point to Norwich during this. And um, we'll talk about him again in just a moment. And the remarkable John Oster. Everybody remember John Oster? Yes. I saw him play in, against yeah. Hereford in the League Cup of Stellar Park. <laughs> oh, there we go. He was pretty decent for us, but um, but he left under a bit of a cloud. And then when he came back playing for another team, um, Doncaster Rovers, 
he absolutely ran the show, single-handedly defeated <laughs> defeated us. He was sensational. That's how angry he was when he left. Um, so I'll always kind of resent him for that because uh, he was obviously capable of being a phenomenal player in his day and he showed it against us more than he did for us. But there we are. So this season, to take you back, began with um, Palace actually went out to America for their their pre-season trip, which is uh, unheard of as a, as a championship club under the stewardship of Simon Jordan at the time. Of course, Neil Warnock, the manager. And um, we went out to America because of a new club we created called Crystal Palace Baltimore. Now, I say we created. We were obviously part of that. It was uh, an there was an existing club in Baltimore that had a bunch of players and I can't remember the guy's name who headed it up. But anyway, we invested in that and, and created Crystal Palace Baltimore. And it was this whole, it, I mean, part of it was right that, that football was going to take off in a massive way in the US. But um, we thought we'd be a big part of that. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. But Patrick, you remember it well. Yeah, um, the way the system set up over here is that we have uh, the MLS is, is the top league in the USL. United Soccer League is a, is the lower, and it goes into have a couple of tiers. So, what Simon Jordan decided to do, which wasn't a bad idea, was to invest in the club in Baltimore, thinking that um, if he could, uh, they could develop young American players, they would uh, at some point uh, get loaned out or go to Palace, and vice versa. We would, we would take some of our academy players and have them play over in USL, but it didn't quite work out. the uh, the, the league that they were in wasn't really well funded or attended. And again, though it was a, a good idea at the time, unfortunately, um, um, it didn't work out. What happened, funny enough, that you know, with the American was coming in, subsequently, you know, we've made several other tours over to America, been not much more successful. But unfortunately, that whole idea of, of doing it didn't quite work out for us. No, definitely not. I think there was potentially a bit of a misunderstanding about how, how easy it was to get players from America to come over to Palace. A loads came over to train. Uh, but obviously signing them is, is, is a different story, you know, work permits and all that kind of stuff. So really, I think the, the club decided to target players with European heritage, but even then you're kind of reducing the pool that you can um, that you can actually pick from. So it's a, yeah, a bit of a disappointment, but it was a very interesting trip. I was raging up about them and it looked like they only lasted a season, but their goalkeeper had the best name ever, Evan Bush. I mean that is just excellent. <laughs> yeah, um, let's say they had uh, they had one UK player as well, um, but yeah, only, only lasted a year, um, which is uh, which is pretty sad. How much money did they lose from it? Do you know? Oh, no. no idea, but all of it. Yeah, <laughs> all of it, all everything that was in it. I think when we when administration, uh, you know, that same season didn't work out. But another thing I wanted to add about uh, the the USL and everything is that. Again, as bad as Jordan's idea was at the time, you think about it now with the MLS, with the affiliation that NYCFC has with Man City and, and Melbourne in Australia. He was actually a man and way ahead of his time because it's a lot of clubs now are doing what Jordan wanted to do, which was to have a an affiliate in different countries. But like you said, Hambo, the problem was is that getting work permits for American players in England, it couldn't work out because of the whole EU thing. But again, it was a good idea, just that this, unfortunately, was like about, about 10 years too too early and about £100 million short. Yeah, and I think perhaps the worst thing of all with this pre-season trip was that a player I mentioned as a, as a transfer out later on in the season was a, a guy called Royce Wiggins. Um, you, people may know of him from the fact that he did have a career later on uh, playing for Bournemouth, Norwich and Charlton. And did reasonably well, but he was unfortunately never the player that he could have been at the time. 
He was uh, he was incredibly highly rated by Palace. He was a real attacking left back, uh, brilliant on the ball. And he was actually keeping Gareth Bale out of the Welsh under twenty one side at the time. And they, I think they were a very similar age. Uh, I think Bale was perhaps a year or two younger, but um, extremely highly rated. And there was a player called Morris Edu, USA international and a future Rangers player, who put in an absolutely horrific challenge on him and smashed his knee to pieces. And um, you know, he, he ended up retiring at thirty, Royce Wiggins, and it was very much a what could have been. You know, so that that was a real sour note for the for the. He, he had a, didn't he have a long career at Charlton? He played for Charlton for years. Yeah, he played. played yeah, over over 120 odd games for them, I think it was. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he he just he, he was at a, he got injured at a time where he was just about to break into our team. He'd played, I think it was a game. I think he came well, he came in as a sub or started the game against Forest as the, for his debut the previous season. And um, yeah, was just just one of those who was just talked about for for quite a while and, and got international rec- recognition with Wales at, again under 21 level before he'd even made a, a an appearance for Palace and talk of him in, I think he may have even made it into the full squad um at one stage so again real talent but ruined absolutely ruined by injury from a from a horrible challenge from a player who actually went on to a pretty impressive future who was playing for Crystal Palace Baltimore at the time anyway let's move on from the pre-season trip um, Palace didn't start particularly well this this season. Uh, we opened the the season with a one one draw against Plymouth, and our new dream strike force, if you can possibly imagine a strike force like this, which was Stern John and Freddie Sears. Uh, that that game ended with Stern John breaking his arm on his debut, which was which was brilliant, and Freddie Sears missing a, a host of chances despite an impressive all round performance, which became. Something of a theme for him in a Palace shirt, gents, because the very next game, the Freddie Sears ghost goal. If you don't remember it, look it up. It is absolutely outrageous. And it turned Neil Warnock a very unique shade of purple afterwards. So Freddie Sears scored against Bristol City, a game we ended up losing 1-0. You're confused, I can tell it already, because I've said he scored and we lost the game 1-0. So what actually happened? Well, what happened is as he tucked the ball away in the bottom left corner, it hit the uh, base of the goal. They don't really have those uh, in, in goals anymore. They sort of pin the nets down in a different way, but actually had a bar running all the way across the bottom. It hit that bar and came out of the net. Obviously, Palace went off celebrating, but but no goal given. Uh, an absolute travesty. Now, Patrick, I know you remember that. Yes, Um I actually remember Clive Adams too. Remember Clive Adams and a goal goal. I've, I've seen all the video. <laughs> Palace are famous. Else. That was seventy nine when he came over for it in, in the um, Kenny Sanson deal. But yeah, and the thing is, um, if you watch, if you've ever watched it, it's pretty clear that the, it's a goal. So it's amazing the way the players reacted. Why the referee didn't see it, and you know, obviously it wouldn't happen now with the goal line technology. But Freddie Sears never recovered. He, I really think, I think oh. mentally it really affected him because it was his, you know, his, his second game for Palace. He had come over, you know, pretty decent. He's actually, you know, was supposed to be a decent player and he never, ever kicked on. And I talk about confidence with strikers and the guy actually scored a goal and it didn't count. It was actually an amazingly ridiculous and bizarre event and a ridiculously bizarre yeah, season, mean- actually. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. Obviously, 19 years old and it's his, you know, it's his, it's his moment and it's only two games in and he was hopeless for the rest of the season. Chris, do you remember Freddie Sears? 
barely, frankly. <laughs> barely. Um, but I, <laughs> but I, I do remember that ghost goal um, and it just being completely outrageous. My, my big reflection on it, um, just listening to what Patrick's saying about the you know psychological effect, is what on earth would happen to Benteke if something like that happened exactly. to him? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. But you just, yeah, you know, Patrick made the point, confidence players and some more, more so than others, and particularly with strikers, it, it just makes such a difference. He could have had an entirely different career, but for that one terrible refereeing decision. And for all the grief people are giving VAR at the moment, you know, and obviously goal line technology, it just wouldn't have happened in the modern game. And yeah, it only happens to Palace, you kind of feel. But um, so off the back of that, we um, actually won our first game of the season. We went uh, went to Ipswich and won 3-1 with Ipswich old boy Darren Ambrose grabbing two goals. And that that kicked off his absolutely outrageous season. And I want to take a moment now to talk about that season from Darren Ambrose. So Mike, you would know Darren Ambrose as a player, as, as a reputation when he joined Palace. Obviously, very early on, he got attention for being a, uh, a teenager at, excuse me, <laughs> damn it, being a teenager at Ipswich, um, and then signed by Bobby Robson at Newcastle for for, for big money at the time. Um, went with a with a real promising reputation and never quite made it, and of course ended up at Charlton, which is the worst thing that could possibly happen to anybody. Um, but when we signed him. Did you have any idea that he would go on and be the player he was for Palace? I don't remember feeling uh, too positive about him signing at all, to be honest. Um, and, and in my head, um, we we hadn't won about the first six or seven in the season. I was surprised to look back and see um, that we did beat Ipswich and went back and watched his goals. And um, he obviously, you know, by the third game, had already netted two. So... Um, that surprises me because in my head he had quite a poor start um, but you know but after we uh, you get into it but after the sort of whatever many games it was 12 games that we went on the bounce without losing um, I was his biggest fan um, but yeah it, it definitely came out of nothing um, and he had a kind of endearing quality to him that, that got me interested straight away definitely and Patrick I don't know if you feel this way when I when I saw him play for us I think those I think those early two goals definitely helped, but it just seemed that he found the right manager for him. As soon as Warnock signed him, and as Warnock's on record as saying he really, really wanted the player, um, he knew exactly where to play him. He didn't give him too much defensive responsibility because that wasn't his game. He just let him operate in little pockets around the front, and it just worked so well with the players around him. It really didn't. That really probably couldn't happen to the, you know, in the in the modern game as far as you know, ten years on or so, because of the fact that um, you don't you don't allow a player to just make his, you know, sit behind the striker and do whatever he wants and never come back. But you're absolutely right. He was the perfect Warnock player, and you've got to give Warnock credit because, like you just said, Warnock definitely he said he says it, you know, that he wanted the player. And he knew where, how he, side he wanted to play and where he wanted to play him. And he, he got off to a decent start and he had a fantastic season. And again, he was, it wasn't like he was a, a modern day striker. He was more of a, you know, a sit behind the striker uh, type player. And the fact he scored so many goals that season and did so well is, 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 ama- is an absolutely amazing, especially, you know, as you get on to the end of the season and what he did in that final game. But yeah, he was, he had a great year for us. He really did. And linked to that, I think, you know, one of the things that I observed watching as much as I could looking back of the, of this season um, 
is at the time I thought we were quite a good side. I said, I mean, and actually the league table shows that if you t- take account of the fact that things happen later on. But the the remarkable thing for me is actually if you just look at the physicality of the players and the way that they're playing, it's completely different um, to look at our championship team of that time compared to the Premier League side that we are today. It's just remarkable. I don't want to come over all Arsenal fan TV, but it's, yeah, I mean, the the difference is just transformational. But the other thing I will say is that, um, Patrick, you've made a point there about, um, you know, you couldn't have a player doing that now. I, I mean, that's certainly true at our level. Is that true in the Championship? I don't know. I don't watch as much Championship football. I've become everything I used to hate when uh, <laughs> Palace were in the in the championship and I used to yeah, think yeah, this competition matters far more than the FM Premier League. But um, I don't watch it as much, but I suspect that the reality is that you probably could still have a luxury player like someone like him or Moritz in the way that you can't in the Prem. Oh, good shout with the uh, Moritz comparison there. I, I think it's an interesting point you make, Chris. I, I, yeah, you, you tend to say that the level of the Premier League just does not allow that at all. But I think from what from what I have seen of the Championship, it the level of the Championship has gone up a little bit. But there are still players there that do have those moments. And there's a lot of players getting goals from, from wide positions as well in the Championship, I, I find. Um, so it's definitely a, 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 it's, it's a level down, but the intensity is still there. I just think mistakes get punished a little bit less at that level, perhaps. And, and talking of the mistakes being punished, that, that's what happened with Darren Ambrose. And it, at times, it wasn't even mistakes. You take they would take a little pot shot from sort of from the distance, not really catch it particularly well, but it just would just always find the net. Um, but of course, there were the goals that he would catch properly as well, which were. Absolutely astonishing at times, and I, I only missed one home game that season, and I think it was uh, was it Sheffield United. I think we were playing. I don't know if it, I've got that right. Whether in the, even in the, in the league that year, but he, um, I remember the goal because I, I, I sort of saw it on highlights. That was the first time I hadn't seen the goal live, and it's when he, the ball sort of dropped over his shoulder, and he did this just fantastic volley, um, or well, half volley into, into the top corner. And just he just would try anything, and it would just seem to work every single time. Uh, but what a player he was for us! And, and watching him that se- whatever we went through in that season, seeing Darren Ambrose on that form, playing that well, and having being able to witness a, a team put together that just basically just gave him every opportunity to show what a talented footballer he was. Uh, it was a real privilege to watch and. Again, but for things being a little bit different, who knows what he potentially could have gone on to do in a Palace shirt because um, he certainly didn't seem to want to leave the club um, and, and obviously didn't until a bit through the next season. But there we go. Um, fantastic, fantastic player and a, and a great period of, of watching Palace in this run-up to Christmas. And unfortunately, after that that win in um, in September, we actually had to wait until... Sorry, that win in August. We had to wait until September the 19th against Derby for the next win. But I mean, that was a run of about eight, nine games, something like that. So really struggling towards the, uh, the foot of the table, not really picking up wins and a draw here and there, but really not, not doing well enough. Uh, but as soon as we beat Derby, it sparked a fantastic run. It was it was one in 12 we lost. We lost against Leicester during that. 
uh, that period. But we really started closing on those play in those playoff places, and I think we all started dreaming of what might be. And running up to Christmas, I have a, I have a real highlight. Um, hopefully, you gents will remember this game. We played Reading um, away. And it was where we first saw Victor Moses. Victor Moses was 18 at the time and obviously had promised so much um, from, from being rumoured as a, I think, well, you know, he was talked about from about the age of 12. I think he scored all nine goals in a in a Youth Cup final for Palace and various other things. Talked about that he would be the next big thing. Um, and he'd sort of been in and out of the side from sort of 16 and 17, but really started to show his potential. And there were two goals he scored um, in the game against Reading, which we won 4-2, which were absolutely sensational. And actually had uh, Neil Warnock saying this, which I thought was interesting, considering what happens later on. He said, you could tell that Victor was on his game and had, he has been since I brought him back into the team. Everybody is looking at him now. They pay £17 million for players like that in the Premier League. God, things have moved on, haven't they? Uh, you don't get 18-year-old British players like that very often, and he will go for sure. So there you go. Uh, really talking the player up for a big sale and um, not quite what happened. Uh, yeah, I remember that game well. Also, uh, the Watford game before it as well. Um, are the two that stick in my head. Um, looking down that list, I, I can't remember some of the others. Uh, I certainly can't remember the nil-nil draw of Sheffield Wednesday. Um, but that Watford game, um, I definitely thought at that point um, things are going really well. And then, yeah, you're right, those those two those two goals. Um I got really carried away at that point because, as Chris mentioned earlier, it it did seem like a really great side at the time. Um, you know, later in the season, we'll discuss it when we had the run in the FA Cup. It, it felt like um, this was a side that was balanced and this was a side that could go, um, you know, towards the playoffs. And, and that particular period before Christmas absolutely cemented that and when he came into the side you know you get carried away straight away that's that's exactly what happened yeah no you're you're right and and you know the talk of the the balance in the squad is exactly right and we had plenty of players that were contributing to that and you know Sean Scannell was making a real impact in the side at the time and uh this is an ideal opportunity to talk about Alisson and Dahi isn't it Do do you remember him yeah he existed uh, Mikey, before before we started recording, was talking, was the only one who really said that, that he liked him as well, I think. Um, I, I just, I remember Wardock talking about him and saying that he just loves the fact that he plays with a big smile on his face. But as a player, so he was, he was massive, wasn't he? He was about, probably about 6'4", like pretty gangly. Um, and he had a, let's face it, he had a head like a pufferfish, didn't he? Let's, let's be honest, that's exactly what he looked like. If you Google his name now, you'll... You'll see pictures of him. Just think pufferfish. But he, he, in one moment of a game, he could pull off ridiculous skill and then trip over the ball and put it out of play. And for some reason, that really, really, really appealed to me. But he actually chipped in with loads of goals. Well, not loads of goals. A fair few important goals. Um, was a quite a tough tackler when he was up for the game. And he was a very unique player. And I, I really liked him. And unfortunately... He had a bit of an attitude by all, by all accounts and obviously thought he was better than he was. And clearly what happened to him afterwards, well, I remember him dropping down the divisions like a stone, cropped up at Barnet at one stage and he was playing playing in like Cyprus. He ended up but, at Hastings. Yeah. Um, 
But he he was an absolute unit. I think you're doing him a disservice when you when you you say about the puffer fish. Like he was, and I'm sure still is, an absolute unit. Um, that's mostly what I can remember about him. Twenty nine appearances that season. Yeah, but yeah, Chris is exaggerating. Chipped in a few goals, few meaning three, <laughs> exactly three goals. Now I understand why you get carried away because you know that's very, very nostalgic. <laughs> I remember him too. Very skillful. They would chip over the ball, but. If they shoot him a few goals, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a stretch, but I understand your enthusiasm. I think he scored about a twenty-five yard header against West Brom. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember having much opinion on him one way or the other. I can't remember him being like a firm fan favourite. I don't know how you and Mikey remember him, but. <laughs> no, he was ridiculed. Yeah, I absolutely tore apart. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know he played 29 games I think he, he came into the side uh, sort of out of nowhere and as you say he was a unit with the head of a pufferfish and he, <laughs> he he actually made an impact on the squad on the side and you know again I think the game against I'm sure it was West Brom where he, he scored an equaliser with, with a ridiculously long range header he just had this knack of occasionally popping up with something important but just at one stage when, when we got him in there was rumours immediately, I think, that Blackburn were going to buy him and going to offer £2 million for him straight away. And it's one of those moments where you think, yeah, we, if that was any chance of that happening, we should have immediately taken that. But, um, but yeah, in, interesting player and one of those. I, th- I think he could have been a cult hero if he'd had just slightly more of a brain. It's kind of easy with hindsight, isn't it? Because he was um, 19, then he's still only 29 now. I mean, just to be clear, I mean, I'm, I've looked back through his history as you said about going down through the leagues my god I mean some of the clubs that he's played for I'm not convinced even exist I suspect that some of us may have been playing about on Wikipedia adding these things (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I mean yeah I what can you say that that's enough I think yeah, you're probably right. That's probably more airtime than he's ever had before. But I don't know. I've just I've got a fondness for for the sort of unique players, if you like. But um, there we are. So fond memories of Alisson and Dai. So look, that takes us up to the Christmas period. The players were firing on all cylinders. We got through Christmas quite strongly, and we took ourselves into January, uh, just outside the playoffs and onto a flight up to play Newcastle, who are going great guns. Crystal Palace is now in administration. With estimated debts of 30 million, these are weary times for fans. For the fans who headed up to Newcastle tonight, it was a long journey, and if the match doesn't go the way they want, it'll feel even longer coming back to an uncertain financial future and a place in the table far from where they'd hoped. During that period... um players were sold and Simon had effectively, um, he made a deal with the hedge fund whereby they would get a large percentage of the, of the, of the money from, from the players that were sold. But unfortunately we had football debts that had to be met first so you know the, basically the way it works is if you owe back transfer money when you sell another player the football league get that money first and they settle all of your other debts before you get the money so when, we, when, when the club sold Jose, not a lot of that money actually got into the hands of the hedge fund. So they were looking for another player sale. Um, Simon was talking to us about a deal for us to buy the debt. Um, and then the transfer window closed. There hadn't been another player sale. We were still talking about 
you know, we, there was literally paperwork going backwards and forwards on email that afternoon. And the next thing that the, the fund had called in the administrator. Landing at Newcastle and we get texts that we're going into administration. You know, even, even Simon was embarrassed, he didn't know it was coming then. And uh, having to react and for the lads to play so well at Newcastle after hearing that on our way in. And, you know, the bus driver, when they find out we are going to administration, <laughs> we took us into the hotel. I remember him ringing. They couldn't take us to the ground unless they were paid in advance. <laughs> I'm thinking, what are, you know, what are we doing here? We landed at uh, Newcastle and all our phones started ringing, you know, text messages and stuff, and we thought, what's going on? And then we, you know, we knew that uh, we went into administration. Uh, so, but we, we knew the situation wasn't great before that, but we never thought we were going to get to that point. Um, so when we landed at uh, Newcastle, then we, we realized, okay, well, this is worse than you know, we really thought it was. So there we go, uh, Palace 10 points down by the time they got off the plane. And um, obviously those moments there kind of really bring it into focus what it was like for the players. They had a game to go to, but all that uncertainty, even though they were aware that the club were, were in a little bit of bother, uh, that seems to come as a surprise to everybody uh, and certainly a surprise to the fans. And it's a, it was a huge game because we were going into that game looking to take on Newcastle, get a result there that could potentially put us in the playoffs. And, you know, in the form that we had, we all know what it's like when a, when a club gets momentum. Um, again, it's a, it's a what might have been moment for us, but straight away, you know, obviously lost that game. Weirdly, had a, had a bounce directly afterwards where we won three games, one of which was a which was a cup game. Um, but it really had a huge impact on our season because the, the mentality of having to adjust from a from a promotion chase to a relegation battle through through nothing. You'd already won you know won the points to put you in put you in the position that you were in. And through nothing that the players have done to suddenly have to deal with, you know, now now you're you're not getting out of this division this year like you thought you might, but you might get out of this division the other way if you're not careful. And yeah, it it had a huge impact on on everybody around the club and it was it was just horrible. And obviously more and more information is available these days about exactly the events that went on and um, it was the the danger of the hedge fund, and you know Simon Jordan's book, uh, "Be Careful What You Wish For," is a good source of information from that, uh, because he just kept taking risks to cover. You know, obviously it was the ITV digital collapse that initially put the the club, uh, everybody in football, into a bit of bother around anyone in the football league into a bit of bother. Uh, personally, he'd had issues with the the housing market. Um, and you know, I don't, he just didn't have the money that he previously had to keep funding the club. And horrible, horrible times to be a Palace fan because it just got more and more worrying. And of course, we'll talk about the, the sale of players uh, in just a moment. Yeah, it's, it's not just Simon Jordan's book. If you turn on Talksport when he's on air, he's guaranteed to refer to it every single time he's on air. So <laughs> you know, you can probably pick it up from there. Uh, but that that January was worrying times because. Um, we lost Font, as was alluded to there, I think, by Parrish. Um, and I remember at the time thinking, this is really bad. Like, he he was a mainstay for the first half of the season. I don't know how many games he missed, but I, I remember 
being a huge fan of his and I was I was fairly gutted um, and obviously he's gone on to have an excellent career in, including um, being current European champion so um, and he's gone he's gone on for for, uh, for a player of that age he's done amazing things um, and it's testament to how good he actually was that he's still doing things now yeah it's funny when Peter Taylor signed him and we, we kind of thought he was a uh a defensive midfielder at the time I think we signed him as but uh, was was played at centre back from sort of moment one but never really it took a while to settle let's just put it that way but once he did it was pretty clear that um, he was a very very talented footballer and as you say the evidence was there but a huge loss to the club uh, especially hard to take because he dropped a division to Southampton um, who were you know obviously league below us at the time uh, and had financial issues themselves uh, prior and, and it was um I think Pardew in charge of them at the time as well. Yes, it was. Oh, dear, oh, dear. So if it could have got any worse. But um, <laughs> there, we, there we are. And obviously later on, losing losing Moses to uh, to, to Wigan as well for a pittance. Um, yeah, he, I think Klein was. They attempted to sell Klein as well, but he turned the move down. But um, yeah, it was it was a horrible time. Uh, Brendan Gilfoyle, of course, was the administrator, and we just had this this constant cloud hanging over us. It just seemed to get darker and darker and darker. And we were just dropping further and further down the division, really sort of struggling to keep our heads above water when it ended up in the relegation zone, of course. Uh, but there were bright sparks amongst all of the rumors about what may or may not happen. And we'll get into those bright sparks just after what Mike says. I was just going to say, what I always thought with the time is we had certain characters in the team. Clint Hill, Matty Lawrence, and he sure, just Derek. always thought, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I was always a massive fan of Lawrence. Um, they always had this. Why? Kind of, Sorry, uh, <laughs> it just I loved his kind of laconic, um, laconic style, and it, it get, those kind of those kind of players, dependable players in those kind of situations. So it, it, they were the sort of silver lining, but um, yeah, it was pretty grim, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. But you're right. We we had a, a squad full of characters, and that's the only reason we we survived like we did. Spoiler alert! Um, but, um, but talking of bright moments, we were still in the uh, the FA Cup and uh, sandwiched between two league victories. We went to uh, well, we played Wolves at, at Sellers Park, and a certain Danny Butterfield um, played as a striker that day. Typical Neil Warnock. We had a five-a-side in. Uh, on the Monday, I think. And um, me and Alan Lee played up front, just jovial way in, in training. And um, he kept passing, and I kept putting it in the net, and it was going on, going on. And then Neil Warner pulled me after training and said, "But Klein has turned down a move to Wolves, so he's going to play right back, and you're going to play up front with Alan Lee and Darren Ambrose. And um, I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He went, no, 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 you are, son. You are, you'll play up front, and you'll score. And I was like, Okay. Yeah. All right. So I didn't think anything of it. Turns up to Celeste. He's written the team on the on the board, and I was playing up front. And I was thinking, what on earth? Anyway, it's a free hit. I remember Sean Derry laughing at me, going, "Butts, what are you doing up there?" <laughs> and um, and Clint Hill, Matty Lawrence, was all laughing. Anyway, for the first forty-five minutes, I don't think I could have played any worse. I don't know if you remember the game. I was, <laughs> yeah, was terrible. Yeah. I don't think I think I was miscontrolling it. I was thinking, ah. Oh, all I was thinking was, if he subs, if he makes a sub, 
please sub Kleine off and put me at right back so I can at least redeem myself a little bit. <laughs> but, um, I remember when we started the second half and I obviously got the first one and then it was just like, no, it was just ridiculous. It just kept kept going and Big Alan Lee was causing Jody problems running around with his head strapped up. And then um, I was just gambling on the flick. So, yeah, it's just sort of happened really quickly and I still it still bamboozles me now to think that it really happened because it did happen in such a short space of time and everyone on the pitch was just laughing. It, it still didn't seem real on the night. Everyone was just laughing in the celebration. So. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A couple of memories I have from that uh, is that we don't get that many games over here in America, especially when championship, when Paris back then, but they actually put that game on the television over here. So I actually saw that game and I was in absolute shock <laughs> to see a fullback score three goals. It was an amazing thing. I know at the time also because the administration we needed the money. And I was actually glad. I, I think yes, we got it was a re, it was a re was it a replayed game? It was a replayed game, and we yeah, yeah. the extra money. So I was like, okay, great, we got the extra money from the replay. You know, we win. Who cares? And then we ended up winning the match. And I was like, oh great, now we play, we have got a another round match. And I was like, it was surprised. But like I said, the fact that I got to see it on TV, which is such a rare thing over here at that time with the FA Cup, they put that on a lot over here, but not the league games. It was great to see it. But again, and it was a natural. <laughs> left foot, right foot, header. Amazing. Just it's just one of the best stories and I've, I've ever been around. It was it was just phenomenal. Um, and am I right in thinking it was also the perfect hat trick in that it was all in the same half without another goal going between it? So that is the perfect hat trick twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and um, yeah, yeah, and, and one of the qu- quickest hat tricks that we'd ever had as Six well. It's insane. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, that 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 evening. Um, I was I was on a date and I took um I took a a lovely lady uh, an Arsenal fan along to see the game, um and I was in retrospect probably not the greatest date idea for an Arsenal fan really but you know she got to see that and I think did become a bit of a a, a Palace sympathiser after that, um and she has since referred to it as the Danny Butterfield evening. Um, but it wasn't too long afterwards um, that I think it might have even been what would have been our next date. She she was quite out of my league, um, quite quite posh. Um, and she texted me saying, do you like Wackmaninoff? Um, and I was like, yeah, it's all right. She's like, what? I said, well, I mean... It's all right as vodkas go. It's all right. Like it's it's not a bad vodka. And she's like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, are "You talking about that 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 vodka from Lidl's, right?" Um, and she's like, "No, well, I was going to take you to the the opera or some classical thing uh, because you took me to the football." 
And I was like, oh, okay. Um, that's not the Rachmaninoff I was thinking of. And I think we lasted about another week after that, and it was uh, that was it. It was all done. That's, that says a lot about you that I'm not sure you wanted to reveal. But, um, <laughs> yeah, right. Nice one. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of blown the comment I was going to make out of the water, to be honest. But all I was going to say was um, re-watching that hat-trick, which was great fun, and you should do it if you haven't recently. Um it was particularly sweet to look at who the goalkeeper was, um, which was one Wayne Hennessy. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, it was Wayne Hennessy, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's a Palace player, isn't he? And we've uh, we've we've had our moments with him. Um, but yeah, I think he'll probably look back at that and think it probably wasn't the greatest uh, goalkeeping display ever. However, take nothing away from Danny Butterfield. It is worth pointing out as I'm. I know Danny does as well that the following game he did play up front as well, but not not for quite as long as not not quite as effectively. But it was just a a glorious moment in time and one of those very typical palace uh, situations that in the worst of adversity with nothing to suggest that it would ever happen, we we end up having a full back play up front and score a hat trick in a in a game that was hugely important to, to keep that cut run going. Because of course we drew Villa uh, in the in the next round, um, and an Ambrose scream of a free kick against Gabor Karali in his uh, in his grey jogging bottoms. That was um, that was another huge moment in the season. And so just to watch Ambrose score that goal was just beautiful. But of course, the really sour part um, of of this period um, of the season was that first of March, twenty ten. Um, as had been rumoured for quite some time, and, and he only really hang on, hung on to see us through uh, what was eventually a defeat in the replay uh, against Villa. Neil Warnock left Palace to go to QPR, and at that moment, the kind of you, your leaders abandoned the club. Um, you've, you've lost a, you know, lost quality from the squad. You know, you, there's there's all sorts of talk of other players leaving, and you just don't really know. What's going to happen next? You're struggling down the bottom of the league because you can't really buy a victory. I think we didn't win more than after those three games we won in a row. We won three more league games in the whole of the season, the whole of the second half of the season. It was brutal and painful and heartbreaking. It really, really was. But of course, the the dream team that sort of came together to steer us through it was. I suppose there's probably plenty of fans who don't wouldn't even recall this, but Paul Hart, um, who had managed Portsmouth. I mean, he was mostly an assistant manager or a youth coach, wasn't he, Paul Hart? I think. But um, but yeah, he'd he, he came in and he brought Dougie Freeman with him, and we'd let Dougie go uh, the back end of the previous season to go to South. No, I think start of this season maybe to, to go to South End. Um, to continue his playing career because he wasn't going to get any games at Palace. Uh, but he basically gave up his playing career to come back and work with Paul Hart with the sole intention of saving the football club. And uh, it was a huge, huge thing for him to do. And the two of them, for what they did uh, back end of that season, again, spoiler alert, will go down, uh, will, should go down in history with, with a huge appreciation of all Palace fans because it was phenomenal what happened. I'll just take it back to the um, Warnock going. I, I mean, in retrospect, now it may you know it makes a lot of sense, but at the time, I don't think I was 
I've ever been more angry and vitriolic towards um, a Palace manager going. Um, I was I was absolutely livid because I was I was convinced that we'd be fine uh, while he was still there, um, and I I didn't really know who to blame. Um, you know, back then you're sort of on I don't know, BBS occasionally, Homestale.net when it was the forums were going, um, sort of, and you were taking half your news from. Um, various South London press and and the forums um, and I couldn't quite work out what had gone on but I was so so angry and I thought we're in we're in big trouble um, and in fact we're looking back um, Hart, Hart did a, a decent job as a caretaker manager um, he hasn't had a particularly huge career since and, and he's only an assistant manager now um, so I'd imagine that he looks back on that period quite fondly even though it was a very much mixed results for him. What interests me about what you've said there, Mike, is about your um, anger, because I was gutted, but I wasn't angry, really, because, I mean, obviously, I mean, if if you're going to be hyper-political, which obviously we don't on this podcast, then I'd have been angry about the role of a hedge fund in pushing our club into that situation. But by that stage, it was clear that we were in deep, deep, deep financial trouble. We got a significant amount of money. I mean, it wasn't as much as a mill, unfortunately, which it should have been. Um, but we got some compensation for him. I was gutted to see him go. I really like him as a manager. I you know, did when he came back as well. Um, but the anger, clearly, I mean, I'm hoping you're going to confirm this, um, would be directed at the people in charge who were causing this situation and letting him walk out. Because... I don't think he wanted to. It was pretty apparent from interviews that he didn't. It certainly felt that way to me. I did not feel that he wanted to leave us, and certainly I didn't want him to go. So yeah, I mean, jump in yeah, and tell yeah, me what you think. Yeah, when these kind of things happen, and I'm older now, and you know, say for example, Wambasaka, you can be annoyed. Um, as a as a younger man, I, I was I was pissed off with Warnock. I mean, I knew that it was. Uh, because it was financial, because I felt that he was taking the the, the decision based on um, on finances, I, I was annoyed with him. I was annoyed at the situation, but um, I blamed him, and it took me a long time. I mean, now I, I quite love him. I think he's a he's a lovable rogue, and and his interviews last season about Cardiff were were pretty awesome. But yeah, I, I was genuinely. But you know, that when you're young, you, you sort of make these rash decisions about whether you don't like people or not and it, it certainly happened in that situation yeah you're not a politician will, where will, you need to apologize or anything it's fine <laughs> no what I, what I will say is that there are certain things that warnock did i mean look it was self-serving to leave when he did but at the same time it is realistic to say he couldn't do the job that he wanted to do and the job he was employed to do in the way he felt he wanted to do it because of the situation and it wasn't of his doing. So you can, you can see that argument, but you know, the, the, the tapping up of players, the, sorry, the alleged tapping up of players. In fact, it's, I think some people have been on record about it. Um, but, and, and you sort of the general timing of it all was quite difficult to take, but yeah, most of that anger comes from the situation we were in as a club and, and the fear for the future, I think. Uh, one little comment on Paul Hart. We, I did get the opportunity to speak to Paul Hart at a Cray Wanderers game uh, the following season. And I, I know he was invited back uh, to Palace um, and, and sort of given a, a round of applause by the fans 
but I was really happy to actually get an opportunity to to thank him personally. It just he he clearly held at the time he was uh, academy director for Charlton, which he was sort of apologetic about when I spoke to him, uh, which shows you uh, the the awareness he had about Palace and and sort of South London rivalry and all that such that it is. But um, he was he couldn't sort of speak highly enough of he was very very complimentary to to working with Dougie. Uh, he was very very happy to have have worked for Palace and and done what he did and and so humble when uh when he was being thanked as well so absolutely top fellow i've got a lot of time for paul hart and, and what he did because it was a hugely difficult situation and to achieve what we ended up achieving um he has to take a huge amount of credit for that and obviously we're going to come to the end of the story which is um whether or not we stay up um yeah keep listening but Paul Hart, the year after, um, when the, the club uh, finally released a, a kind of you know long term DVD um, about all of the history of the club, especially 2005 to 2011, um, he spoke at Fairfield Halls at the kind of launch of that film, and you know a lot of us were in the audience watching that and it, there was a little kind of Q&A thing afterwards and yeah it, it just kind of reinforces what you've said Chris about you know his affection and you know memory for um, the club and its fans and you know I mean he's someone to be honest I was complete I was gutted that he didn't get the chance to um, you know lead the team and lead the club for a bit longer but um, yeah it's what it is Back of the Nest The Palace Years So dealing with the uh, the loss of a manager and the rep- the new management team of Paul Hart and Dougie Friedman, the team sort of went into a well not sort of they actually went into a running. Um, I think the, the one of the turning points. I don't know if it's the same game you were referring to earlier, uh, Mike, but uh, we won against Watford, which was kind of a turning point. They were down there struggling with us at the same time. Uh, we managed to beat them and also. Following that, we took a, a welcome victory against Preston because we've been through a long period of having to play Preston way too much and rarely beating them. And those two victories were very, very important. Unfortunately, what happened was it was followed by a loss to QPR, now managed by Neil Warnock, of course, uh, then draws against Derby and West Brom. And then that West Brom game, that's the one where Alessandro Dye scored that header. That's That, that was a really important point. Um, yeah, it was great, um, but it, that meant it went down to the final game of the season. Um, we all know what that final game of the season was. Sheffield Wednesday. The situation was Sheffield Wednesday had to beat us. It was at Hillsborough. Um, I've never known anything like it, I'll be honest with you, to, to have to go into the... I mean, Stockport was a distant memory, I suppose. That's the, that's the comparable one. Um, but for me... I was still pretty young um, for the for the Stockport game, and it it didn't really seem as dramatic as it did uh, going into the Sheffield Wednesday game. Um, again, we'd struggled for victories, so we knew it was going to be tough. They were absolutely desperate, a packed Hillsborough, baying for blood. Um, but those characters we talked about earlier. I mean, Mike, you brought it up quite a lot. We just had that that bit of confidence going into it because of the, the the people that were in that team. Paddy McCarthy is one that immediately springs to mind. And then obviously you would go, beyond, well, 
Claude Davis, of course, also at the back into midfield. Derry was an absolute monster in there where he wanted to be. Um, and, and he really did want to be in his, spec, his second spell for uh, uh, Palace. And of course, just Clint Hill. Just we, we could talk so much about Clint Hill, and I'm sure we will. Um, but it was just, you know, it didn't stop the nerves, though, I have to say. Knowing that all those players were there, it still didn't stop me absolutely bricking it ahead of the game. Well, I remember I was on tour at the time, um, but was lucky that it was it was on the telly. Um, and I I wasn't worried because I think I probably already had a skinful in the pub. So that always helps, a bit of Dutch courage. Um, but we, we took the lead. Um, and at the point we went 1-0 up, I thought, there's no way that Wednesday is going to score two. We, we've got this. We only need the point. Um, so I didn't feel... I mean, I felt, I felt nervous for the game a little bit. But other than that, after the goal went in, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel the stress that I felt with the Stockport game, i got to say. I was stressed. Um, <laughs> but context to this, it was a few days before the general election of 2010 and I was running for to be the MP for my hometown. I had absolutely no mm. chance of winning. Um, but it meant I couldn't go to the game, which otherwise I would absolutely have done. And yeah, I, I, I sat at home and watched it with my dad. Um, and it, it was actually really interesting in that respect because I got loads of emails from people in Ashford, that was the place that I was running, um, saying, you know, we support other teams, but we respect the fact that you care that much, that you've been social mediaing about this. So we're going to vote for you now, whereas we might not have done. <laughs> so fair enough, I'll take that. Did make a difference, though, did it, Chris? Well, in the end, it was a... Not in the election, no. Um, no, that's what I mean. <laughs> Palace, well, that was one of two things that mattered. So, you know, one out of two ain't bad. You know, in future, maybe things will change in a different direction. Listen, if Palace have to fail for you to succeed in, politically, I'm not prepared for us to make that sacrifice. I'm not talking about me personally, mate. You know that. I'm never right, about okay. me personally. Right, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, no, look, it was, um, a common endeavour. We achieve more than we achieve alone. Oh, he's off. He's off again. Yes, <laughs> I am. You're not allowed to say that. That is that is there is an official ban on that word. Uh, Mikey, can you beep that word, please? Um, it is now officially a swear. <laughs> show. <laughs> so, um, no, for, you know, again, memory-wise, all the pressure kind of lifted, as as you say, Mike, when uh, Alan Lee heads the ball in for the opening goal. Um, but Leon Clark, I think th- this was a it was a turning point, really, wasn't it? Because I thought it was Ambrose get, scored the first one. Am I getting them mixed up? I thought it was it was Alan Lee with a. It header, was Alan Lee. Oh, okay, okay. From from a from a corner, direct from a corner, really, really good uh, oh, corner. Oh yeah, routine. yeah, yeah. Do you remember when we had good corner routines? It was yeah, one of those. Yeah. And um, and yeah, so he, he heads it in, and and the pressure starts to lift, and you think uh, they're gonna they're gonna crumble now, but then Leon Clark, who was a decent player on his day, um, just. Battlefield claimed a foul. He will still claim a foul today. I, I think it was a, it was fifty fifty. It went in favour of Clark, and he finished brilliantly. But for me, that the turning point in that game, in a lot of ways, was the fact that he ran off celebrating and kicked an advertising hoarding and broke his toe and had to go off because he was a real danger that day. And, and had he stayed on the pitch, who knows? 
it could have been very, very different. But the moment you're thinking about Mike was obviously when and Dai, remember him, puts uh, Scanlon through on the right-hand side, just bringing him up every opportunity I can, puts Scanlon on the right-hand side, brilliant cutback. And it, as I was saying earlier, Ambrose it just went in however he hit it. It wasn't the sweetest of strikes, but it was on target, went under the keeper, just kept it nice and low. Uh, the celebrations when that goal went in were just absolutely sensational. The players losing their minds completely. And of course, late on, Darren Purse pulled one back for, for Wednesday to get it level to 2-2. And the iconic moment. I was going to say, let's, let's get to the really, the really good parts. Well, the, yeah, the really good parts. But the, first of all, the final, as the final whistle went, you can see Paddy McCarthy's organising the players for the corner. But for some reason, you know, referees tend to allow the corners to be taken, no matter what's happening. But that that day, and I'm thankful we didn't uh, let it let it come in. Uh, we blew the whistle. He's just a camera on Paddy's face as he's shouting and then goes sort of like what what's happened there? I think we interviewed him about it. I can't remember what he said but I think he, he you know similarly was you know shocked shocked that the uh, the whistle had gone and the celebrations were obviously immense but my god what happened afterwards was carnage wasn't it um, and we just all know it was mainly it's the Clint Hill thing isn't it essentially a shirtless Clint Hill decided to have to well not deciding he had to essentially fight his way through what in my mind, is now thousands and thousands of Sheffield Wednesday fans all baying for his blood. And, you know, again, in my mind, Clint Hill's just punching left, right and centre and knocking them all flat. And it's just it's an unstoppable machine. In reality, I think, you know, he might have got a couple of hits in, but he was uh, quickly shepherded off and a few players came out to help and get him into that tunnel. I heard him talk about it much more recently than, than the footage that's on YouTube. And it seems to have sort of moved from... Uh, not being scared to being like properly in a boxing match. Um, I think in his head, it's it's become a little bit more of a fight than it was at the time. Um, but, you know, they showed the footage on the TV at the time and it's just like, yes, this is awesome. This must be how like Millwall fans feel most weeks. Um, it was, yeah, pretty special. And the fact he had his shirt off was just made it even more iconic. And then, and then um, the scenes from the dressing room afterwards with them all doing stupid dances... Awesome. Yeah, it, it was it was just ridiculous. But what I I just I do think about it now, and I think you know some of the attention, you know, rightly so that when you get fans run on the pitch and punch players, I think it was Greedish last year got got punched, didn't they? Um, Shame. But for some for, for some reason, an entire <laughs> an entire <laughs> Shepherd Wednesday sport emptying them onto the pitch and effect, effectively trying to fight one player. <laughs> didn't really you know no one really paid that much attention to it It, but you know it was when you look at the footage I'm not trying to overplay it when you look at the footage around a second and a half after they get the players finally into the tunnel that tunnel is absolutely swarming with fans going crazy it was uh terrifying I mean you'd be pissed off too if you'd just been relegated at home on the last day and the other team are celebrating so you kind of kind of understand it but yeah um, you can say these things happened back in the day, but we're actually talking about 2010. We're, we're talking about the decades. <laughs> you know, it's not a long time ago. It's also 15 years after Monica Seles was stabbed by some person with a vendetta. Let's put it that way. Um, and that's scary. And that's why we're not allowed to intrude. Now, I mean, as someone who invaded the pitch when Dulwich Hamlet were promoted two seasons ago um 
that was by invitation effectively and it was cool but i would never ever ever do that and i don't i don't think any of us would would we i mean you know let's we can't quite do a poll because there's like three of us but no but i mean obviously that thought but you know i'd say my trigger is appalling referees yeah, but you still wouldn't go on crosses, and jump in, would you? But it, oh, it crosses my mind. But the difference <laughs> is, I'm an I, I, I'm an adult to a degree, and <laughs> and I realise that that's not an acceptable thing to do. Um, yeah. Although sometimes, come on, oh, sometimes. Clattenburg, Clattenburg. Well, we're all about anyway. to find out what each other are really like in game scenarios, aren't we? When we're stood together over a whole year, yeah. There we are next season, all together in the homestead. But mm. anyway, um, I think you know. The, the, obviously, it was disappointing that um, we couldn't see, we couldn't keep the best of that team together at the end of the season. Of course, um, but it was a, uh, it was just as far as Palace moments go, as far as you know, memories and nostalgia and all that. It, it, it's right up there. The the relief and joy together in such huge quantities was you know there's no real feeling quite like it uh, but unfortunately once the you know the excitement and the adrenaline died down we had the reality of what was happening um, off the pitch to deal with um, Patrick's mentioned that the supporters trust in, in May of 2010 uh, launched a, a major fundraising scheme and um, for you know overseas fans sending in money and he, he sent in fifty dollars and 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 it just felt hopeless um, and, and a lot of people felt that and uh, you know we didn't really know what to do um, until that everything kind of crystallised into that one moment on the first of June where the club released the fact that they were having to negotiate Selhurst say the club, effectively CPFC 2010, as they became, uh, revealed that they couldn't complete their purchase of the club without the ground and that Lloyd's held the ownership of the ground. It was a different administration to the club. So they could buy the club, but not the ground. And that, and that you know, things were in dire straits. And what happened was, uh, was quite phenomenal. And everybody came together as one in London on that day. A champagne moment. They couldn't really believe it. Tension had mounted as the three o'clock deadline for a deal ticked past. This had gone well into extra time. The administrator had threatened to start selling off the players at three, so some people needed to see news of the deal with a new consortium in black and white before belief followed. Should keep the club underground. So tell me, what does that mean? <laughs> Everything. Absolutely. Well, there we are. <laughs> um, a pretty, uh, a pretty amazing turnout of fans there. Um, I remember being trapped at work and just so, so sick to my stomach that I wasn't there. And hearing from so many people I knew that were uh, formerly of this parish, Ben Nagel being one of them. Uh, now such a big cheese at the Sports Mail Online, but uh, it's yeah, it was um, it was brilliant and it worked. That's the thing, um, you know, from from what Steve Parrish was has said. You know, some someone very very high up at Lloyd's. Obviously, the deal wasn't being done in that building or anything like that. There were people jumping over cars and all that kind of stuff, and that pressure worked. It made people get round the table and, and come to a deal, and that deal 
became a reality on the 7th of June when CPFC 2010 issued the following statement. CPFC 2010 are pleased to announce that we today completed the acquisition of Crystal Palace Football Club from the administrator of CPFC 2000. We have exchanged contracts and paid a deposit on Sellers Park. The sale will complete when we satisfy the Football League's requirements and CPFC 2010 are assigned to the Football League share. All that then remains is for the successful conclusion of the creditors' voluntary agreement. We feel confident this will be a positive outcome. Uh, the former secured creditor of the club, that's Simon Jordan, I guess, uh, accepted a shortfall on their settlement in light of this and the fact that CPFC 2010 were and are the only party serious about acquiring the club we believe our, op- our offer represents the best value for creditors we'd like this to take this opportunity to thank lloyd's banking group for their genuine concern for the future of the club and the recognition of what it meant to the community and fans we are and we are extremely grateful and that statement was such a huge relief and it was the start of something very very special um, but it was just the start and we'll talk much, much more about that in the next episode of Back of the Nest, The Palace Years. But before we end, Mike, I'm hoping you've got some uh, some old correspondence. Now, we tried to go back and look at um, Twitter, didn't we? And um, essentially, Twitter did properly where it existed, but there wasn't a lot going on back then. So Mike's had a, a look at various bits and pieces. But I know, Chris, you, you seem to want to speak before I go any further. This is not even about social media, but what it is about is the fact that so at this stage, um, so we're talking, you know, two thousand nine ten. I didn't have a season ticket, but I did have what they called a Selhurst Super Six, which oh, yeah. meant I remember. You had a minimum of six games that you could get tickets to, and went well over that, and um, which is why I ended up getting a season ticket the next year. Um, but I was in Block V most of the time. One, there was a nutcase to my right who spent most of his time. Um, baiting the away fans but to my left um in block b as was um there were a ton of children i would say between five and ten who had their shirts off were looping around their heads dancing at the front and so the comment i wanted to make and the question i wanted to ask is whether any of them are listening to this and if so, can they share their memories of these seasons coming forward so that we can include those? Because we're going to include some social media, real-time comments, but let's include some of those people's memories looking back as well. And more to the point, uh, if they are listening, have they got to this point in the pod? Uh, if they have... <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, probably, probably should have said that up the top. You know, yeah, email us, uh, hi at beckethenest.com. Uh, with all your memories of these seasons, probably should have asked beforehand as well. But hey, yeah, Mike, well, over to you. As Hambo's alluded to, um, I I thought as we go through these, and the plan is for this first season, we'll see how long it takes, we'll see how far we take it. But we're going to take year by year uh, for the, for this decade um, up to the eighteen nineteen season. Um, we will we will add in um, a splash of social media. However, um, Twitter back in those days. Uh, to give you an idea, there's something like 25 consecutive tweets from the club themselves that have uh, no comments at all and no likes. Um, so it was very much in his infancy. Um, so I've resorted to that worst of things, Facebook. Um, and there's not a great deal to go on. Um, but I can leave you 
first of all, from a comment from uh, our very own Mikey, um, who at the time uh, he posted a, a Facebook um, Facebook f- uh, <laughs> comment to say, new stadium looks fucking awesome. And we'll discuss this next time. 40,000 seater glass roof. I'm buying a season ticket for sure. CPFC 2010, we love you. So we'll go into uh, that particular um, disaster uh, next time. All I want to say is that this the most amazing concentrate of bullshit in one statement that I've ever I could ever see in my life. And then I've just chosen a comment by I'm I'm not going to give them a name because they might not want to they might not have nothing to do and and hate our podcast and don't want anything to do with it. But somebody said, and this this will take us into the next season for next episode. It looks like the heroics of last season. So this this was written uh, at the end of the season. and celebrations on the last day meant nothing. Derry, Carl, Hill and Ambrose are going. Paddy, Spironi and Dans could follow. It's not looking good. If and when CPFC 2010 take over, they'll have to buy a bunch of new players. So it seems pretty pointless letting the heart of this team go. So we'll see what happens next week, won't we, people? Indeed we will. And do join us for that. It You've could, said next week. Could it could be. be any time. Time is like that. It's, it's a fairly... Um, it's a fairly Oh, I can't even think of the word. Chris, what's the word? Oh, you've had quite a lot of rum, haven't you? So you might no, know. I was on yeah. mute. Um, next time. Next time on Back of the Nest, the Palace years. I mean, that's not what I was after. Um, what did you want? Sort of, uh, sort of just sort of just ended Derision. sort of on a bit of a, bit of a thing. So I'm um, just going to let this go. <laughs> oh, you right, could just right. sort of... Put, Mike, if you just put some sort of sad music on as I sort of mumble and just slowly fade us out, that'd be great. Join us next time on Back of the Nest, The Palace Years. Back of the Nest, The Palace Years. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.